a, a friend who has recently qualified for British citizenship. And as a result, I've been kind of sort of reading around what is involved in that kind of long, what, what seems to be quite a long and laborious process. And uh, I find that, that part of what candidates are asked to do when they're uh, applying for citizenship, apparently, is to read a very short book called Life in the UK. Okay, now, uh, this is a book that not only sort of talks about the, the benefits and the advantages of living in Britain, uh, but it's a book that also talks quite a bit about the standards and the behaviours that are expected of uh, your new identity as someone who is British. Well, regardless of whether we actually believe there is anything as a sort of uniquely British value, the idea of that book there, that helps us tonight. Because, let's face it, where are we? We are in the midst in Colossians of, of Paul here, right into that church, remember, right into that, that, that congregation, and he's saying to them, right, come on. You know, things have changed. New standards. He's calling for them to live in light of their salvation. And if you were here last week, quite a few of you were, you remember the metaphor that Paul is using, do you? To sort of encourage them at Christian living. Do you remember what it was? It was that change of clothing. You know, off with the old man, on with the new. Remember last week, we saw two lists of sins. And it was that that Paul was saying, take off. So I guess it shouldn't be much of a surprise tonight to see that what we've got in front of us just now are actually the traits or the virtues, the characteristics that we are supposed to put on as Christians, we are supposed to wear as Christians. So I guess just like that book about life in the UK tonight, this is how we are to live in light of our new identity in Jesus Christ. And what we're going to do is just try and follow what Paul's doing, his sort of flow here. What Paul does, he's, we're looking at 12 to 17, what Paul does is kind of draw a line in the middle there. And he, he splits it into two, sort of 12 to 14, and then 15 to 17. We'll just do that. So we'll take the sermon and we'll split it up into two parts. And we'll just try and follow Paul's thinking about idea and behavior as Christians, okay? Um, so if you would have your Bible open, um, uh, look please to, to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to consider, first of all, a dressing in Christ's virtues. So that's the first, our two headings, dressing in Christ's virtues. Um, in my humble opinion, one of the weirdest things about being British <laughs> is, the, is these uh, titles that some British citizens get. You ever sort of stop to think of how strange the idea of a knighthood is or... How peculiar in the 21st century the idea that we would hand out something called the Order of the British Empire, you know, in the 21st, 21st century. Well, even if it is your lifelong desire to be knighted, okay, would you please note that the titles that you get from God in the Lord Jesus Christ as a Christian, they far exceed this. Look at verse 12. What are you called in God as a Christian? We are called, look at it, we're called God's chosen people. We are called people who are 
holy. Look at the last one. We are called dearly loved. Dearly loved by God. Now, a lot of commentators are going to point out that those terms there were used of the they were used of the people of God in the Old Testament. Okay? So you think about it, the people of Israel, way back there, they were also called, look at the titles, the people of Israel were called uh, chosen, they were called holy, they were called loved by God. And the commentators would say, okay, what Paul's doing here is saying to the Colossians, right, come on, you people are the new Israel. You are the new citizens of God, so live accordingly. Now, I think the commentators are right there. But wait a minute, I think there's another level to this, is there not? Let me ask you, who else in Scripture is called chosen by God? Who else in Scripture is called holy? Who else is called loved by God? It's Jesus, isn't it? It's his son. Like uh, Luke chapter 23 is God's... He's God's anointed. He's God's chosen one. Then you've got Luke chapter 3. He's God's holy one. Then you've got Luke chapter 4. And the Father says, My son whom I love. Do you, do you see it? The terms that Paul is using here of you and me are the same terms that the Father uses of the Son. So do you see what Paul is doing? Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying to us, Such is our union with Jesus, such as our connection with Jesus, that we are to put on the same virtues, that we are to, to, to resemble Jesus Christ, that so tied are we to him. Think about it, that the Father now sees you in the same way as he sees his son. <laughs> what we're seeing there is that the Father calls you the same things that he calls his very own son. And because of that, the people of God, we are supposed to resemble, we are supposed to live like, we are supposed to emulate the, the son of God in, in all things. You see it? So what this is here, with these titles, what we're seeing is Paul calling for us to resemble our saviour in the way that we live. Great, fine. Let's get to the list, though. There's a list here now. What have we got? Well, I was uh, speaking to somebody the other day when I was up in Edinburgh. And uh, they were telling me that they, uh, when they were younger, they could laugh at their dad uh, because he always had to be super organized for going away on holiday. You know, I had to have lots and lots of to-do lists for holiday. I think that's a dad thing to do, isn't it? You know, you've got to be precise. We get, you don't want to forget anything when you go in holiday. So this person was laughing at their father for being like that. But then the person was saying to me, actually, now that they've grown up, that's what they're doing as well. So they're making sure that they have got all their to-do lists as well. Well, last week, we looked at two lists. list about sexual immorality. list about sins of speech. Now, what were those? Those were lists of things to avoid. <laughs> A list of things to avoid. What we're looking at here, this list, is something very different, isn't it? What you've got in verse 12 is a to-do list, or, if you like, what you've got in front of you is a to-be list. 
as a Christian. I want to read it to you. So just follow me in your Bibles. Look at this in verse, verse 12. Here's the list. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. What a list, eh? Now, we do not have time, same as last week, we do not have time to go through all of these. We don't need to go through all of these, do we? I mean, you, you go through that, you read it, and you see the theme. This is how we as Christians act towards other people. In fact, it's more than that. This is how we are supposed to act towards other Christians. And you look at the list, and you see very clearly, don't you, that it is about a sort of self-denying tenderness toward your brother and sister in Christ, isn't it? It's about a sort of of self-sacrificial care that we would demonstrate for the people in your church. Isn't that what it is? And don't you think that there's one in that list that just keeps jumping out? I think because of the context that we are in, in London. I'm pretty sure that most of you I've seen the BBC show The Apprentice. Like, I don't know if it's on at the moment, but certainly most people have sat and watched The Apprentice. And you know what that's like? You've got all these sort of wannabe business people. What characters you've got in that, you know? And they're all trying to impress Alan Sugar. And they're all trying to show how brash they are and how sort of forthright they are as business people, don't they? I mean, and I know that they're sort of caricatures, aren't they? But isn't it true that those are the qualities that are valued in the city? Isn't it? Like in London, it is a good thing to shoot from the hip and to speak your mind and, and, and to be sort of self-assertive, forthright with your opinions, isn't it? In London, that's, that's what people want you to be like. Look at the list. What does God want his people to be like? Look at it. We are called to be, and it depends on which translation you've got in front of you, we are called to be gentle people. We are called to be meek people. I mean, this is a revolutionary idea in London. This is a this is a revolutionary list. But Paul doesn't leave it there. Look at look at verse thirteen. He doesn't just give us a sort of vague list of traits. He's very practical. He he shows us what these things should look like and put them in practice in the, the life of the church. And he's he's saying, you know, you want to be patient, do you? You want to be like your savior? Do you want to be patient? What does he say? Verse 13, in the life of the congregation, you bear with each other. In the life of the church, he says, you forgive each other. And I think it's there. Verse 13, that we get to the heart of what it is that, that, that God wants from his people. I think in verse 13, we get to, to how it is that God wants us to live and behave. Now let me look at this. Paul does not just say, forgive each other. We look at what Paul does say in verse 13. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That what, what we've got here is not just a call from Paul for us to sort of 
display the virtues that Jesus showed sort of generally in his earthly ministry. What we have got here in this list from Paul is a call for us as Christians to display the traits that Jesus displayed in winning salvation for us. Do you see the difference? I mean, this is a a call, this list of traits here are the traits that Jesus demonstrated in winning our salvation, in atoning for sin. And he wants us to follow those things. Look, Look at this. Do you see what I mean? Look at it. We've seen forgiveness. We are to be forgiving. Why? Because the Lord has forgiven us. Look at this, though. He's calling us to be compassionate. Why would we be compassionate people? Think about the cross. Because the cross is the greatest ever work of compassion. So you've got compassion. What else? Kindness. Why should we be kind? Think of the kindness of the cross. He calls us to be patient. Why should Christians be patient? Christ on the cross could have come down at any point, any second. He had the power to come down, wipe out the tyranny, wipe out the sin. He didn't. He patiently endured that, didn't he? Why? He's winning salvation for us. That's why we have to be patient. What else do we have? We've got humility. Why should we be humble people? Do you see it? Because Christ humbled himself and became obedient to to death. Even death on the cross. Look at the last one. Look at verse 14. Do you see it? Paul says, you've got all these garments. You've got to put on a lot of stuff in Jesus. Look what he says in verse 14. Yeah, over all of these, your overcoat. What is it? It's love. Why? Think of the cross. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Do you see what this is? This is a call not just to know Jesus. This is a call not just to know his work on the cross. This is a call to let that filter into the way that we live as Christians. If we did that, I tell you this, this church would be a different place if we did that. Out there, can you imagine the difference we would make if we could authenticate our words about Jesus with this sort of gospel-centered Living, it would change absolutely everything, wouldn't it? Friends, I hope you see that this isn't moralism from Paul. This is not just a list of rules and regulations and, and legalism from Paul. It is absolutely not that at all. This is a call from Paul, as he says in Romans 13, 14. He says, people of God, you put on Christ Okay, so we've seen the first, from verse 12 to 14, this is appeal, put on the virtues of Christ. Something else we've got to consider, moving that from verse 15 to to verse uh, 17, let's consider abiding by uh, Christ's principles. So what he's done is he's given us these virtues and characteristics displayed by Christ, we're supposed to follow that. He, he then here just gives us a few principles. So we'll look at these. The first of these you'll see is to let the peace of Christ reign. Verse 
to let the peace of Christ reign. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you have handed in your notice in the workplace. Have you ever done that? Uh, it's great when you do that. <laughs> it's a good feeling. Uh, things change when you had in your notice in the workplace, don't they? Like nothing's the same at all. Everything changes. Like even if you've still got two, you've got work your notice. Maybe it's two weeks. Maybe it's a month. Things are totally. There's a different atmosphere, isn't there? Like you'd never have to. You never have to really involve yourself with the sort of office politics that go on. You know, I, I don't care. I'm, I'm going somewhere else. You know, I don't want to mind about that. You don't have to worry about the sort of squabbling that goes on in offices or in the workplace. You've got something better. You know, you're out of there. And so there's a totally different, there's a totally different atmosphere. You're doing the same thing. There's a different atmosphere. Now that is the sort of thing that we're dealing with in this principle. But we've got to be careful with this. Like Paul says here, let the peace of Christ reign. But so many Christians get that wrong. Because they let the peace of Christ reign. Okay, that means I go about my life and if I get a vague peace about something, that's what I do. You know, if I've got a vague peace about this, I'll follow that. Now that is not what Paul's talking about here. What is peace in the context of Colossians? Peace is our salvation. Our salvation. You know Colossians 1.20 that God has made peace with us through the blood of Jesus Christ. So peace isn't this sort of vague sense of, oh, I better go and do that. I feel comfortable with that. Peace, let the peace of Christ reign. This is about salvation. But what does it mean to, to let our salvation reign? Well, what we've got to understand is that Paul here is not talking to you. He's not talking to me. He's not talking to one person in Colossae. This is a corporate you. He's writing to the church here. He's writing to LCPC here. He's written about verse 14. He's talked about the unity of the believers. Verse 15, he's talking about the members of the church. So this, let the peace of Christ reign... It means, wait a minute, hey, in the life of LCPC, let the peace of Christ reign. So do you see what we've got here? Paul is saying, you know, to live for Christ in this new identity, you don't allow the bickering to occur in the life of the church. I see all the squabbling in churches. No way. No sort of personality clashes at all. No, we should be a people who are absolutely focused on the peace, the salvation, the peace that Christ has won with God. So I ask you very, very simply, is that true of you in the life of the church? Are we letting the peace of Christ reign? Maybe have you taken your eye off the ball? Have you taken your eye off the cross? Personality clashes, problems in churches... Are they a bit more important? Are they taking up your mind rather than that peace that God has given you in Jesus Christ? Which is it? Is it time even tonight to repent of that? To come back and see, wait a minute, think what, what, what has been done? And we think about the fact that there was enmity 
and Christ has provided a truce. That's, that's rubbish. There was enmity and Christ has, has provided a family relationship. That's the peace that we have with God. Let the peace of Christ reign and reign in the church. Then we've got something in verse 16. We've seen that principle. Look at verse 16. There's another one. It is let, if we're going to live for Christ, let the word of Christ dwell. Um, coincidences. God gives us a lot of coincidences when it comes to Scripture. Do you not think? that like, you, You'll have seen it where you go away on holiday um, you go away at holiday and uh, you go into a church, you visit a church and the, the guy who's preaching, uh, he preaches on verses that you had read sort of two days beforehand. You know, you never had that happen to you? I'm sure you have. Or maybe you go to a Bible study, you don't have any idea what the Bible study is going to be on. You walk through the door, you go and you sit down and the Bible study is on verses you read two days ago and that have been bothering you ever since. You know, God does give us coincidences when it comes to Scripture. We should pay a lot of attention when God does that because God's not just saying something to you. He's repeating something to us, you know. That's what we've got tonight. Because this principle, let the word of Christ dwell, that is exactly what we were looking at this morning. When we were looking at the preaching, when we were looking at the word of God. So we should pay attention to what this is. What does it mean? Let the word of Christ dwell. Well, again, it does not mean God is not speaking to you individually. Let the word of Christ dwell. It's not about us being, you know, us being receptive to preaching and to the word. It means that, but remember what we're talking about. Paul is speaking to the church. He's saying to the, he's saying to LCPC as a gathering, he's saying, now you let the word of Christ dwell. This is about us ensuring that the gospel is front and center of church life. Let the word of Christ dwell. This is about us having numerous, abundant opportunities to read and study the Word of God together. Now, what would that look like here? Well, I want to say to you, huge amount of temptation as the church grows for us to diminish the Word and to relegate preaching. Like, that sounds like guff. That sounds like just verbiage. You know, that's the sort of thing you maybe say. It's not. I hear it all the time. This call to reduce the word, like shorter sermons, fewer sermons, social gatherings, church services, where the word isn't quite as central as it perhaps used to be or should be. Do you see that can happen? You know, as we move forward as a congregation, seeking to grow, seeking to mature in faith, see that verse. 316. You should be able to remember that. That should be characteristic of our congregation. That should be what we are about. I would say to you, memorize the verse. Let the word of Christ hear, hear. Let the word of Christ dwell in us and dwell in us richly. And then I just want to end with the last principle, okay? So we've seen the peace of Christ reigning. We've seen the word of Christ dwelling. Last one. Let the name of Christ stand.
what he does in verse 17 very simply is he gives us a summary of everything that we've looked at in the last two months. <laughs> I think it is two months. Look at the summary statement. Let me read it to you, okay? This is the last thing. Just follow the last verse. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? Is that about do whatever you do? Is that remember those wristbands you used to get about ten years ago? Christians always used to wear those wristbands that said, What would Jesus do on the wristband? Did you see those things? Is that what Paul's saying? Is Paul sort of saying to the Colossian church, pop down to your local Christian bookshop, you know, and just live your life asking, What would Jesus do? Is that it? That is not what this is. Because as Paul read that earlier on, I hope you saw from verse 15 to 17 the repeated refrain that Paul keeps coming back to. He keeps coming back to. Look at this, verse 15, the end of verse 15. Remember the principle, you were called to peace. What does he say? And be thankful. Thankful. Then look at verse 16. He says, as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, how do you do it? How do you do it? What does he say? You do it with gratitude. Verse 17, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. How? Same thing. Giving thanks. Do you see what this is? Do you see how he's ending it all? This is a, a clarion call for the people of God, not just to live obeying Christ, not just to live honoring Christ. It's a clarion call for us above all these things to live in everything with gratitude to God. That Jesus Christ become so much our preoccupation that the cross just cast this glorious shadow over everything that, that we do. That Jesus Christ become just an obsession to us. You know, that, that he be the heartbeat of our life, that he be... You know, the motivation for, for everything that we're doing, for every sort of breath that we take, that he be about everything. It's all in, encompassing this. And we started with, with talk about that book about the UK and citizenship, didn't we? I just want to end reminding you how Paul starts this whole chapter. Remember what he said about you? He said that in Jesus Christ, you're not really a citizen of Britain. He said that truly in Christ, you are a citizen of glory. That you are a citizen of heaven. And so because of that, friends, let us live in light of our new identity. Let's do everything for Jesus Christ. Because one thing is for sure, given the fact that he has secured peace with us, with God, he is deserving of all of our praise. Let's pray.